0: Hi, this is Pastor David Cooper. Thank you for joining my podcast. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you. I also want to ask you to share the podcast with others. Together, we can make an impact in people's lives as we introduce them to the Word of God. Thank you for your partnership and ministry of the Mount Perrin family and our outreach. I pray that the Word of God will be a blessing to you today. Most important relationship in the world is marriage. Marriage is God's building block for the family. And the family is the foundation for the society and for the church. In this study we are learning biblical principles for a healthy and holy marriage. We are looking at eight biblical principles for marriage. We've already looked at the first four and now we discover the fifth principle is that marriage requires unity. Now, Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 8 and 9, so they, husband and wife, are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. I'm sure you've heard that verse many times at a friend's wedding, at a family member's wedding. The minister will reference that passage. It was spoken by Jesus. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, Jesus makes this statement in a conversation he was having with some of the the rabbis and the religious leaders. And someone asked him a question about marriage and divorce because people had different interpretations of that. And so he was answering their question. And he said to them, it was not that way in the beginning, but in the beginning, God made them male and female and God brought them together. And then Jesus quotes What the scripture teaches us in Genesis 2, verse 24, about the definition of marriage is found in the creation story. For this reason, a man will leave father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he makes this commentary on that passage. He explains it. So they, in marriage, in other words, they're no longer two separate people, but they're one. And then he makes the statement, therefore, because they are one, because they are married, because they've made that commitment what God has joined together. and So the couple has to see themselves in a Christian marriage, in a spiritual marriage, that God has brought them together. It's not just that they chose each other, and they did. It's an act of their free will. But they also have to see themselves as being in the will of God, that God has joined them together. Let no one separate. And sometimes there are people that are threats to marriage, that can distract people from their marriage, can discourage people in their marriage. Sometimes family gets in the way. Sometimes people get misled. Sometimes it's not a person that separates, it's issues of life that can separate a couple. Stress, money problems, all types of things can be threats to a marriage. And so the key to survival and the key to thriving in your marriage is always to join together, come together, to be together. Spend a lot of time with each other. Always talk to each other throughout the day. If you have a disagreement, get over it. Don't wake up mad. Don't go to bed mad. Stay up all night if you have to to work it out. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. And when we go to bed mad at each other in marriage, we're just giving the devil a foothold. We're given an opportunity for our hearts to grow apart because we get so angry and so hurt. Always join together, always come together, always be one in everything. Marriage requires unity. So they're no longer two, but one. I've had sometimes couples even ask me in counseling, should they have one bank account or two? Well, it's up to you. But Barbie and I have always had one. We share everything. Everything we have, we have together. Every possession we have, we have together. And for us, we have found that unity is the simplest way. It is the best way. And that's what's being taught here. In marriage, you're no longer two. You're not, just, you're not just an individual demanding your way. You've got a greater responsibility. You have a covenant relationship. And the marriage has to be that important to us, our commitment to each other. And we have to always come together. God has joined us together. And when people try to pull us apart or issues of life or stresses of life or problems, they'll try to pull us apart. In those times, we need to make extra effort to come together together. That's when you always, you got to come together. You got to talk together. You got to go out on dates. Marriage requires unity, being together. The sixth principle we learn is that marriage takes support from each other. We have to support each other and serve each other in marriage. A husband's got to support his wife and a wife has to support her husband. Now, so in Ephesians and in the New Testament, we see this word submit used a lot to talk about the importance of submission in a family and in the marriage, Now, first of all, Paul writes in Ephesians 5 and 21, he gives a word to everyone. He says, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. Now, let's stop and think about that first and foremost, because everything else written about submission, it starts from that point. So in that sense, there's a way that we have to submit to each other in so many ways. Now, the word submit, it it means different things, and it can be applied in different ways. From the Greek word hopostaso, it is used in kind of a military setting where the commander gives an order to the soldiers and they obey the order. They submit to the to the command. It can be used in a work environment where the employer tells the employees this is what you're going to do, and they have to submit to the directions of the employer or the company. But the word also means to come under something to support it the way. That the legs of a table hold up the tabletop. They're support, they're part of the table, but they're holding it up. And so submission could mean to come under authority and in some applications, but it also means to serve each other, to come under, to support. And in that sense, it's a word like encouragement or to support. And he says, submit to one another out of your reverence for Christ. And that means different things in different kinds of relationships, but it means that all of us should have a submissive spirit, a serving spirit. There are times that we need to submit to authority. There are times it means that we're serving other people, that we're not trying to take the leadership role. That means at times we're taking the back seat and we're just there to encourage and uphold. And that's what it means predominantly in marriage, to support each other and to encourage each other. And so then he gives a word to wives, having used this, Verb, submit. Wives, he applies it in marriage now. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And so he makes an analogy between Christ and the church. And he says that wives should support their husbands. They should encourage their husbands. They should come under their husbands and lift them up. And men need a lot of encouragement. We need a lot of compliments. Men like to be told that they're doing a good job, and it's something that for some reason means a lot to men, at least all the guys i talk to, and I'm in the same way. You know, if you just take the trash out, you kind of want your wife to acknowledge the little things that you do that goes a long way for guys. They like to be told they're doing a good job. They like affirmation. Now, Paul also speaks to the wives in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 4, and he says that the older women in church, the mature women, can train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. I point that verse out because I once heard a preacher in a message say that nowhere does the Bible command wives to love their husbands, that husbands are commanded to love, but that's not true. There it is right there. And that, of course, makes common sense that love is the key ingredient of all good marriages. So here, wives are told to support their husbands, to love them, to encourage them, to lift them up. And that's what the word submit means in a marital context. It doesn't mean to be governed by and obedient to. It would mean that as a child when it says, children, obey your parents. Well, that would be submission. For a child to submit to a parent would mean to come under the authority. For a wife to submit to her husband, since she's an equal partner, doesn't mean to come under his rule or his authority. It means to come under and support and to encourage and to uphold him. Now, we apply submission to husbands. So what does it mean to serve your wives? In what way? would that take on application? So he gives a word to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5. He says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband, Ephesians five twenty-five and 33. So here we see that husbands, the way that they support their wives, is to love them, and it's interesting that he qualifies it here, love your wives as Christ loved the church, and he defines what that means. He gave himself up for the church. Husbands are told to have this sacrificial love, to put themselves second to honor their wife and to support their wife and to serve their wives, even to the place that it uses an analogy of Jesus giving his life on the cross. That becomes the example of what it means for a husband to support his wife and to serve his wife. And in Colossians chapter 3, verse 19, put to this way, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth, but he was never harsh with his disciples. He showed them this unconditional love. So love your wife and don't be harsh with them because men can be overbearing and every man knows that. That's a part of our makeup. Men and women are wired very differently. We're grateful for that. It's a beautiful compliment. But the world around us sometimes try to eliminate any distinction between men and women, but that's not natural. We know that. It's not logical. It's not even true. And men sometimes can be very overbearing, flex their muscle, and want to be in charge. And so we're cautioned. Love your wives and never be harsh, never be overbearing with them. You've got to have that submissive spirit, that serving spirit, the way that Christ serve the church, remember the night of the last supper when he breaks the bread and shares the cup, which is an example of his crucifixion. In Luke chapter 22, he makes that statement in verse 27. He said, I'm among you as one who serves. And that's what a husband does. He's there to serve his wife. A father's there to serve his children. I'm among you as one who serves. Well, that's submission when you apply the word in marriage. It means to serve and to support and to encourage one another. The seventh principle we learn is that marriage thrives with peace. Now, Peter writes about this. Wives, in the same way, be submissive or supportive to your husband, so that if any of them do not believe the word, that is the gospel, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. The word gentle there means a humble spirit. Remember, Jesus used that quality of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you because I'm gentle and humble of heart. The word quiet here doesn't mean that you're not talking. It means a peaceful spirit that you create peace in the home. And he says that these qualities, the unfading beauty, of a gentle and quiet and peaceful spirit, is of great worth in God's sight. 1 Peter 3, verse 4. So there he's teaching wives, even in a marriage where the husband is not saved, he doesn't know the Lord yet. You invite him to church, but he doesn't come. You don't get mad about that. Maybe invite him to watch online, try to get him hooked on worship. But he says it's the way you treat them, by your love for them, your acceptance of them. But being peaceful, not demanding, not getting upset because they're not where you are spiritually. He says they can be one to Christ without words. Think of that. We don't have to keep preaching the same message to people. They heard it the first time we said it. Sometimes if we just serve them and pray for them and love them, the gospel's there. The seed's there. And that's what he said to wives. You've got to be peaceful in your home is a great witness. And marriages thrive in an atmosphere of peace. Now, we also read the same principle for husbands. The scripture says, husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. That that simply means that women are anatomically differently. Their anatomy is different. We all know that. So he says, don't be overbearing. The weaker partner, but the key word there is partner. The noun partner is more important than the adjective weaker. They're made different physically, but your wife is your partner. She's not your subordinate. So treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Think about that, a man that's not peaceful with his wife, that's chaotic and conflictual with his wife and is overbearing with his wife. God says he didn't hear your prayers. All husbands need to look at that verse. I discovered that one early on in my marriage, and I've noticed it and noticed the importance of it. That the way I treat Barbie... Is very important and it affects my relationship with God. I remember one morning at our first church we had a disagreement about something. I got in the car and was on my way to church and I started praying. And I said, Lord, forgive me for the way I, I acted this morning. And I I don't hear from God that often, but I'm telling you, the Higher of the Lord say, Why are you asking me to forgive you? It wasn't me you offended. Why is it when we offend people, we ask God to forgive us? We didn't offend God. You got to go back to the person you offended. And that's hard. So I immediately called her. I stopped praying. I remembered this verse and I told her I was sorry. When you offend your husband or your wife, you go to them and apologize. You don't go to God and pray about it. You go to the government and apologize and you make it right. And that's how you keep peace. Everybody's going to have conflict. Everybody's going to have a bad day. Everybody's going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. The important thing is to recognize it and to have the character to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And that heals everything if we'll just make it right. And that's what it takes to have peace. When there's a lack of peace, we have conflict. We need to get over it quickly. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. We should pursue peace, follow peace with all, especially in marriage. And if your marriage today is trouble and you're upset with each other, you're angry, that's a part of life, but you need to make it right. And you need to reestablish peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God, Matthew 5 and 9 tells us. No more important is that truth than in marriage to make peace. And so marriages thrive when there's peace. Not all this conflict, not all this drama. When we have the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, a humble spirit, not a dominating spirit, a peaceful spirit, not a conflictual spirit. When we show respect to one another, and when we apologize and say, I'm sorry, forgive me, when we break that peace and reestablish it. And the eighth and final principle we learn from the Bible about marriage is that marriage should be honored. We should honor, in, in our culture today where we are, in different parts of the world too, marriage has lost its, its dignity, its honor because it's been changed, it's been altered, it's almost become meaningless to people. More and more couples are waiting longer in America to get married. The average age of marriage today in America is right around 30 years of age for both men and women. It used to be much lower the 23 or 24. People are leery of marriage. They don't want to be hurt by it. They've seen a lot of collateral damage. And marriage is not as special as it used to be. It's been so redefined. But as God's people, we need to look at marriage as a special relationship. We need to honor it, no matter what the world does. You know, the world's not redeemed. That's why they need the gospel. That's why we're here to, to lift them out of darkness into God's wonderful light and tell them there's a better way to live and there's a better way to have marriage than the way the world's going about it. But as God's people, in God's house, as God's children, we need to look at what the scripture says. So here in Hebrews chapter 13, it says marriage should be honored by all. And that is especially true for every married couple. We need to honor our marriage and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral, Hebrews 13 to 4. In other words, there are consequences to sexual sin and adultery when we violate the covenant. Those, that's the judgment. It's the natural consequences of our sin when we break our covenant. So he says marriage should be honored, but also in your marriage, as I do in mine, I need to find ways to honor Barbie and to honor our covenant together there's so many ways of doing it. Great times of celebration, going off together. Sometimes people renew their vows, whatever they need to do, and to keep the love alive and to honor and to thank God for your marriage and to lift it up on a high honor. And in your mind, say, I'm so grateful to have you as my husband, as my wife. I'm so grateful for what God has given us. Marriage should be honored by all, especially by married people. And these are the eight building blocks of a great marriage. And I pray that what we've learned together in this study, and it's worth going back and listening to again and looking to these scriptures again and asking the Holy Spirit to give us guidance as to how we can live out these truths. Jesus is the way to an abundant life. He is the way to an abundant marriage. The way of Christ and the way of God's love is the most excellent way to live, we read in the scripture. And if you and I will follow these principles and apply them in our lives, we too will find the most excellent way to experience the covenant of marriage. Let's join together for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word, for the instruction and inspiration of the word of the living God. I pray for every married couple that this study has enriched their lives as it has mine. I pray that for every single person that would desire to be married, that maybe is frightened of it or, or skeptical because they've seen so much pain, that you will help today to under them to understand what it really means to experience marriage as a covenant and blessed relationship by you. I pray a special blessing over every family today. Minister to them in their household, meet their needs, help them get through the problems they're facing. Give them a spirit of peace, I pray. And may every member of their household come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus is Lord and Savior. In your holy name that we pray. Amen, Thank you for joining me for this study. It's a great study, I think, just to go back and listen to a couple of 15-minute sessions. These scriptures are so full of meaning and application. I know that God has using a way to speak to you personally as He has to me. Sunday's coming, I'm looking forward to seeing you in worship. If you live in the Atlanta area, I want to encourage you as your pastor to be on campus. The services are dynamic, the program for the entire family, the fellowship with the great all the people of God. We also have a place of service and ministry for you here. So if you're able to be on campus, I want to encourage you to always make it here on Sundays and all the special services and the events and so many things exciting going on in the church today that you and your family can be a part of. Check it out online. Make sure you got the Mount Perrin app. Keep up with all the special events and Bible studies and prayer services and retreats and so many. Wonderful opportunities coming as well that are available for you and your family. I want to thank you for your gracious and financial support of the ministry you're giving. No matter where you are around the world, Mount Perrin is your home and you've made a commitment to the church. Your tithes, your offerings help us make an impact in the world. And we need your support. What we do, we do together. And I want to thank you for your prayerful support and for your generous support of the Mount Perrin ministries as well. And you can give on your app, you can give online. You know the different ways of giving, but I want to say thank you. And also let you know that your giving is important and it does make a difference and helps so many people around the world. I love you. I'm praying for you. God bless you and God bless your marriage and God bless your family. Have a great day. Thank you for joining me today as we've shared together the word of God. Let me ask you to download the Mount Perrin Church app today so that we can stay connected and you can see all the great services and resources available for you and your family. Follow me on social media and also the Mount Perrin Church family. I look forward to seeing you in church to worship on campus and online. God bless you. Have an incredible day.